Hi everyone, it's Sandy Cruz from Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. And I'm here to show you that balanced living works. This is especially for all you ladies over 40. We will cover a range of exciting topics with many special guests and I really look forward to this season. Bye for now. Hi everyone and welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me I have a special guest. Her name is Stephanie Farrell and she is a body confidence coach who has many certifications and her goal is to help women feel who feel their lives are controlled by food and exercise and body image break free from that diet mentality and feel confident in their skins. And I think this is really, really important for women over 40 as our bodies really begin to change. She's also a published author and has written for numerous magazines. She's hosted for EFT Radio Online. And really, she's a sought after workshop facilitator and an inspirational speaker. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Sandy, for having me on the show. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you because it seems like a growing concern with, well, I think women in general, but if I look specifically at my clientele, which is mostly women over 40, weight and body image are huge. So maybe we can start by, you know, just tell us your story and how you came to be where you are right now. Oh, goodness. Where should I start? Um, my first memory, uh, I'll start here. My first memory of being in my body uh, as a child, I knew that I had a bigger body than other children. And... Um, I think I used to use food actually to feel safe and to sort of comfort myself um, because the environment that I was living in wasn't really predictable at the time. So, you know, to feel safe, to feel comforted, I used food. And as I became a teenager, I became um, very body conscious. And of course, you know, kids can be, kids can be cruel sometimes. Um, so I suffered uh, from, from a lot of bullying in school, but uh, I really made that connection with my body. You know, I always thought that if I was thinner, I'd be more loved, I'd be more accepted, and um, unfortunately, I became bulimic, oh. and then, yeah, and then I suffered from anorexia. So my first year in university, actually, I was in a traumatic uh, accident, a vehicle accident, and um, had a head injury, and that just, you know, I nosedive right into uh, the anorexia. So I was very nearly hospitalized. And, you know, after a time, although I was nutritionally rehabilitated, nothing really was done to help me unlearn the patterns I created or the beliefs that I had about my body or about foods or the fears that I still had. Um, and not only that, but the trauma that I'd suffered uh, throughout my life. And I still had these deeply ingrained patterns. So, you know, 
vacillating through anorexia and bulimia for many years. It wasn't until up to my mid to late 30s that I really dealt with all the underlying issues and learned to create new healthy patterns. So it was all the different techniques that I learned uh, that really helped me recover fully. And this is why I'm so passionate about what I do. I mean, my lived experience and, you know, it really tells me that there are women out there who feel, maybe feel hopeless about changing their patterns. Um, I know, I know what I've done for myself. I can really help them. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I fully, fully get where you're coming from, where your own life experiences mm -hmm. can really pivot you into what you're meant to do. And obviously, I can tell, having had quite a few conversations with you now, that you are really passionate <laughs> in helping women, which I love. Maybe you can get into some of these patterns that you're telling me about. I would love to hear what they are, and I'm sure our listeners would. Yeah, so uh, patterns are established. Um, let's say, let's say this: at some point in your life, maybe something happened or something was fed to you that was hurtful or traumatic, and in response to this, you develop a coping mechanism just to protect yourself. Like I, like I said, I did. You know, mm -hmm. feeling comforted uh, to, to protect yourself. <laughs> from what feels dangerous or painful. So maybe controlling food or your body uh, can become that coping mechanism. And when it does, you know, it seems very helpful at the time. It can make you feel safe. And it really does seem to solve the problem. But using that coping strategy over time, um, this pattern becomes like hardwired into your brain. So now every time you're triggered, um, this stress response is activated and you just, you just go back to that mechanism, that coping mechanism again and again. It's really a vicious cycle. Wow. Yes. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. sure that many can relate because especially if you're talking about, there's, you know, obviously childhood experiences, but then there's mm -hmm. also trauma that, you know, we may have experienced later in our lives. I know for me. It was later that I had different experiences and, you know, like with women, I find with women over 40, I come across a lot of emotional eating. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, so what are the signs first where you can say, okay, this is a sign of disordered eating? whether it's overconsumption or underconsumption, perhaps you can mm -hmm. tell us what some of the signs are of A, overconsumption, and B, underconsumption. Well, I think one thing to determine whether or not, you know, someone has um, disordered eating or an obsession with body and, and weight and food, uh, one question I would ask is, like, how much time of your day are you thinking about food? Hmm. How much waking time do you think about food? Do you obsess about food? Are they constantly body checking? And do they avoid situations because there will be certain foods there? Or um, calorie counting and being obsessed with macros, uh, you know, feeling um, upset because they're missing out on 
an exercise routine or or you know feeling obsessed with eating clean foods that's another one really and and physically i mean you have to look is their menstrual cycle affected you know how are they performing anyone who's not able to really function um and is obsessed about food and their body and fearing you know gaining weight um that that can be a huge sign over exercise you know constantly obsessing but i think in older women anywhere there's a lot of real shame and embarrassment you know um i think for many years you know they've had more years older women have had more years of really translating their emotions or stuffing their emotions down and really turning it into this you know for lack of a good term the language of fat so instead of really connecting with their emotions whatever it is they tend to say i feel fat you know fat is not an emotion um but they've sort of been conditioned over the years to um speak in that language and you know I think for I think for older women actually they there is a lot of shame they've gone through a lot and I think as they age um perhaps there's a feeling or sense of insecurity like they're losing their power or their influence yeah uh, and that they're not as attractive um particularly in a in a culture like ours where you know it values youth so much. Thin and youth are the values, right? Yeah. Um, so they feel like maybe if they had a thinner body, if they, um, you know, if they lose weight or if they're really toned and fit, that they'll be more attractive somehow and that will give them the power or the influence they feel that they're lacking. Yeah, okay. Well, you certainly, there was a lot packed into that little bit that you just said (laughs) so really there's different ways to look at it there's people Mm -hmm. who over exercise and it's like oh my god I had that cookie so now I've got to uh you know get on the treadmill and you know that type of obsession and then there's the you know not wanting to participate in functions because they're like, okay, well, there's going to be food there and I'm going to be tempted and then I'm going to put on weight. Okay, so there's that whole factor. And then there's <laughs> like, that. that's that's a lot right there. I mean, I, you know, I know uh, for me, I went through a pretty significant life change when I had my entire thyroid removed. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I can even probably look back then, which is nine years ago now, And go, okay, I went through some periods where I was like, I didn't even know how to eat because I felt like everything I was eating, I'd put on weight. And, you Uh know, it was a matter of finding my own balance, but that took me some time. But so really, are you saying then if I became, because I did, I became obsessed with certain foods, certain ways of eating. And that's why now I'm like, oh my God, like just Sandy, live balanced. When you live balanced, you're healthy in the Mm -hmm. body, you're healthier in the mind, but it was hard to get there. So how do you help clients get there? Well, in terms of my clients, you know, what I've noticed uh, in terms of 
uh, my clients, I mean, nobody is born with disordered eating or beliefs about food in their bodies. Right, right. <laughs> These things are learned, right? They're learned along the way. Uh, and basically really to free someone from those negative patterns and those thoughts and the emotions and the beliefs that are tied into their body image, that are tied into foods or eating uh, or restricting. Number one, uh, addressing the circumstances that actually created the disordered pattern in the first place. So whether it's something later in life that happens or whether it's from early childhood, addressing those circumstances um, that actually created this pattern, that created the coping mechanism mm -hmm. to create this pattern. And then, you know, dealing with the chronic uh, current stressors. So it could just be the everyday stress. I know if you're living in a society and you are in a bigger body, that there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of that shaming that goes on. Yeah, stigma for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, so much stigma. Yeah. So, so that, and even even if you are on the other end and you're you're in a um, you know thin privileged, um, well, not privileged if you're you know disordered eating or focusing so much on exercise, but even if you're in a thin body, there's a lot of, um, or whatever body size, people restricted any size. So not assuming that someone in a large body is not restricting. People are restricting their food intake. It's restricting, period. So when they're restricting, if they're constantly afraid of, of uh, gaining weight or eating certain foods, I mean, that's, that's a trauma right there, actually. You know, mm -hmm. all of that fear, that chronic stress. And then number three, this is where it really um, ties everything up. I mean, the nutritional rehabilitation, of course, that has to happen. But for me, yes, I was rehabilitated nutritionally. But like I said, you know, my brain was still thinking the same thoughts. I still had the same patterns that were so deeply ingrained. So number three for me is really to rewire the brain to think differently and create new healthy patterns, behaviors, thoughts, and beliefs. And how do you yeah. rewire the brain? Well, um, some of the, the um, strategies I've learned uh, are particular techniques um, that I use, so somatic cognitive um, energy techniques. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I use a lot of... Um, uh, I'm specifically trained to, to help go deep down into those particular circumstances or those stressors and help alleviate that stress in the nervous system. Because every time you're stressed, that chronic stress um, and acute stress, you go into that fight, flight, and freeze mechanism. Right. Right? And so when you're in that, you're either, you know, running, running, running in that flight or um, you, you can actually be shut down. I mean, maybe I should talk a little bit about polyvagal theory. Sure, sure. If that would help. Yeah. yeah so polyvagal theory was created by uh, Stephen Porges. And believe me, I am not um, the expert in uh, polyvagal theory. If you want to read more about it, um, Stephen Porges and uh, Deb Gaynor are fantastic, and Stephen Porges created this. So. so this therapy, it what? It deactivates the stress and activates more the parasympathetic nervous system? Like, how does that model, like that particular therapy, interact with mm -hmm. the nervous systems? 
Well, it does because it does calm down that stress response. And the stress response is that fight, flight, or freeze response, that dorsal vagal response. But what I do is help to get people into that uh, clear uh, social engagement, ventral vagal state where they can think clearly, where they can connect with the world around them, where they can connect with other people and with themselves. So another huge, huge part of what I do is that, you know, people, uh, whether it's, it's because of the restriction in food or the dieting or the exercise or society or whatever cultural beliefs uh, have been so ingrained, it really disconnects us from our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I find so many women that I work with are, are just up in their heads. They're not really experiencing life through their body. So after a while, they, they don't even realize, you know, that they can't, they don't feel their hunger. They don't feel their fullness. Mm. They don't feel in their bodies. So that's another aspect that I work with um, through other techniques. So it's it's that interception. It's really, and interception is really feeling um, what's happening on the inside of the body. So like I said, feeling the hunger, feeling, uh, feeling uh, fullness uh, and other things. But it's also connecting to the emotions and emotions we know are felt in the body. So it's really bringing them back into that safe ventral state and having them connect with their bodies to live in their bodies and to to recognize um, all those signals that their bodies are giving them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this method, or some, all, mm-hmm. I guess all of these methods can help with, mm-hmm. we're talking a lot about women who are under eating, over exercising, over obsessing over food, but then there's the other end of the spectrum where every single emotion they feel is going into that bag of chips or going into Mm -hmm. all these snacks all day long and they find themselves spiraling in the other direction. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you hear about this all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. as opposed to obsessing and going, oh my God, I can't eat that, I can't eat that, I can't eat that. It's like they spend the entire day thinking about when are they going to eat next because they are entirely food obsessed in a different way. So would similar techniques apply to the overeaters, the over emotional eaters? Um. Yes, and I, I want to make a distinction here because, to be clear, I'm not a psychotherapist or a medical doctor. So, you know, I have varied training, um, lots of different um, certifications in, in mind-body uh, medicine, and I have lived experience. So, yes. you know, I don't work with women who are diagnosed with eating disorders right. unless it's in conjunction with a psychotherapist or support team. Um, and there's a difference between disordered eating and eating disorders. So eating disorders are clinically diagnosed. Okay. Well, disordered eating doesn't really fit in with the clinical criteria in the um, DSM. Okay, good clarification. Uh, yeah, so if you suspect you do have an eating disorder, you know, I definitely say seek out help of a licensed practitioner first. Sure. Um, of course, um, because those are very serious and, and life-threatening. Agreed. I agree. 
Yeah, so I think coming back to your question about, you know, dipping into that, that food, um, I mean, from my experience and from what I've seen, it's, it's a form of protection. It's a form of comfort. Protection. Form of love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, love um, and, and really feeling safe. I think everything, everything comes down to feeling safety. Yeah. And this might be, you know, um, kind of, it's not mainstream. What, what I'm teaching is, is not really mainstream. But what I have seen, what I've experienced is that everything comes down to feeling safe. So mm-hmm. when I talk about the nervous system, you're not feeling safe when you're in flight, flight, breathe. Right, right. <laughs> you of know, course. when you're not connected to your body, you are not safe. Yeah. And um, even, you know, and, and using that food for that safety and that comfort, right? Yes. Um, I think I think that's the other end. And, you know, we hear about um, stuffing our emotions. We eat our emotions. We yeah. suppress them. We we push them down. And like I said, but that that um, that term of you know fat language or um, really translating the emotions that that are too painful to feel, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes that, sense. You know. Yeah, too painful to feel, and just translating that into I feel fat, or you know, just just placing that onto food, placing that. That's you know, a really that's a really good point mm-hmm. because, I mean, even so, there's there's people who will say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to go on a diet, and they go on a diet, and they yo-yo, and they lose a little bit of weight, then they gain it back, then they lose weight, then they gain it back. That's why with the clients that I work with, I typically do not give meal plans or specific diets because I really don't believe in it. I believe that that actually makes you more stressed out. So you're tapping into that whole sympathetic nervous system. If you give a woman who's 48 years old, premenopausal, has a very, very busy life, a diet plan, and she's already dealing with a lot. What do you think that's going to do with her stress response, right? So oh, it's so stressful. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm glad to hear you say that because honestly, you know, and this is what people don't understand. They can go on a diet and then, like you said, they'll yo-yo up and down, up and down. Now, it's, it's, um, uh, it's true that the biggest predictor of weight gain in the long run is actually dieting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A team of uh, UCLA researchers reviewed 31 long-term studies on the effectiveness of dieting and concluded that dieting is a consistent predict, uh, predictor, excuse me, of weight gain in up to two-thirds of people. For sure. You know, they regained two-thirds of people regained more weight than they lost. So, so that yo-yoing and that dieting really diets don't don't work. Yes. You know, I think we're we're made to sit at a certain set point and, um, you know, just really learning to learning. And first of all, we're learning that hunger and we're learning the fullness, right? Those I think years, that's important. They, yeah. Yeah. They can be broken. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that, uh, that you, you don't do that. Cause the stress is incredible. And yeah. then people feel like they're a failure if they don't keep the weight off or if they don't lose the weight. Right. You know? No, I mm-hmm. agree. And that's why I'm almost, 
I'm inclined to, when I work with clients and deal with their lifestyle, nutrition, supplements, even homeopathy, I usually focus a lot and and learn a lot Mm -hmm. about their lifestyle. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if one of their drivers to see me is to lose weight, it's always about, okay, well, let's let's figure this out because often that weight gain is coming from Mm -hmm. things like trauma. So that's when they really would probably benefit from working with somebody like yourself, Stephanie. Like let's, let's do full circle. Let's really figure this out. And sometimes when Mm -hmm. you deal with all that trauma, guess what happens? That weight just kind of starts to go away. Because you're dealing with inflammation, you're dealing with the trauma, you're dealing with techniques, and, you know, I love that. Um, I do want to get to this question because on all social media, the internet, you see this massive body positivity movement. And I fully align with that. I'm no longer, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, size two and yeah, 105 pounds. I'm far from that now, now that I'm 50. And I've learned through many different ways that I've got to figure this out and just be happy with who I am, knowing that mm-hmm. my lifestyle mm-hmm. is good for me. So what I Absolutely. don't support is when I see body positivity with, and this has actually really, I guess it does have to do with size. It gets, mm-hmm. it gets very complicated, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to make it very mm-hmm. clear here. I am not fat shaming. I am not, mm-hmm. so I want to make that clear. But I'm all about living well and living healthy yeah. in any yeah size so provided you you do all the things that are really showing hey i care about myself i'm not gonna you know post a picture of body positivity in a larger size with a giant bag of chips you get where i'm coming from like the the whole body positivity movement it's kind of going really wide (laughs) does that Mm -hmm. like what do you think about that stephanie well, I can't comment on the specific posts or the specific people that are posting um, these these sorts of things, but, you know, like you, you really touched on their body respect, right, and accepting our bodies. So, you know, I really focus on accepting our bodies, whatever the size, and um, in terms of weight, I should interject, in terms of losing weight, I mean, who am I to tell people not to lose weight? Um, it's not my place, uh, but I can say that whatever your size uh, whatever your size is, you can pursue healthy lifestyle yes. behaviors and treat your body with respect. So your size does not determine health. And I think people think this is a causation. You can be in a thin body and be just as unhealthy and you don't have healthy habits. And the diet industry lies about the causation of chronic diseases. They blame it on being overweight. I mean, fat shaming in the medical community. Don't even get me started. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. And it really needs to be stopped. You know, I was reading an article the other day 
One woman um, in Newfoundland went to the doctors. She went to the doctors for years complaining of, of specific symptoms she was having uh, that were, you know, I mean, she knew her body. They weren't normal. And only every time to be told by the doctors to lose weight. She'll feel better if she loses weight. Well, when she was finally, after years, after years of this, when she was finally diagnosed, she had terminal cancer and passed away. Mm. It is despicable. Mm. absolutely despicable but any size at any size people can you know pursue healthy lifestyle habits and that's what it's all about respecting your body accepting your body and and really um uh, adopting those healthy lifestyle habits and behaviors yeah i think i think that all of those facts those comments sorry uh, right there mm-hmm. are what's important respecting your body mm-hmm. respecting it at any size and then knowing that you are living healthy so you're not you know you're not eating a ton of processed foods and you know fry like whatever mcdonald's and you know and then saying oh well it like you know i i'm gonna eat whatever i want and be body positive and that's okay too I mean, if that's mm-hmm. your lifestyle mm-hmm. choice, but, yes, you know, exactly. that's where that illness comes into play, right? Mm-hmm. So, really, mm-hmm. it's those lifestyle choices as opposed to the size. It is, but it's important also if you're if you're really, um, you know, rehabilitating uh, nutrition-wise that uh, you, because we tend to moralize food. This food is good. This food is bad. You know, I can't eat that cake. You hear it all the time at parties and such, like a birthday party for a child. You go and you'll hear some of the mothers saying, oh, I've been so bad. I had a piece of cake. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But really, there's nothing bad unless we think it's so. So, I mean, part of that nutritional rehabilitation and coming out of that, you know, restriction, whether you're in a a smaller size body, a straight size body, or a larger body, part of that nutritional rehabilitation is really not moralizing the food. It's really changing your beliefs, and that's where a lot of the work I come in um, does help with those thoughts and those beliefs about the food and about eating it, the fear uh, and the moralization of food. So if we change the way you think about it, you know, I think um, allowing yourself to eat whatever you like in the moment, you know, um, it's not a sin to have a piece of cake at a birthday party, you know. Um, there are so many irrational fears that go along with eating certain types of food. And um, you see it, you see it all the time. You hear it all the time. Yeah, you do. But that's why I'm always about living a life of balance. <laughs> so absolutely, it, absolutely. You know, and I say that all the time because even if you look at my feed, my social media, uh, Instagram, I have all kinds of foods. I am not going to say that I sit and eat. You know. 20 different types of vegetables every single meal (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I eat perfectly Mm -hmm. and I never have a pizza night and I never have that cupcake and because that's not true but I believe that we can all like you said when you really look at that food and go oh my god it's so bad well what do you think Mm -hmm. that's doing to your stress response (laughs) right Mm -hmm. 
right? Exactly, exactly. And your body, and I always say this all the time, I'm like, people, your body is so smart. It knows. So when you're sitting there going, oh my God, I shouldn't be eating this cupcake, but I want it so badly. And then you shove it in your mouth. What do you think your body's going to do? It's going to go, oh, you're poisoning me again. (laughs) And yes, it's proven that how you think about your body and about uh, foods in general affects your body. Yes. It affects your body, stress-wise and otherwise. It'll affect you physiologically as well, you know? Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah, and... I wanted to actually, I wanted to bring up emotional eating because a lot of people use that term, oh, I'm emotionally eating, it's so terrible. (laughs) But I think, you know, almost everyone who has a healthy relationship around food and their body eats emotionally sometimes. Yes. It can be a celebration. I was just going to say that. Yes. Yeah. I was actually going to say that, Stephanie, because like I come from. Uh, Croatian background and similar Mm -hmm. to Italian we love our food and I grew up like that I grew up where food was a part of a celebration always and so yeah there's emotion tied to it right yes and it it can be a source of comfort I mean how many times have we watched you know um, a movie or something and the girl breaks up with her boyfriend and then she goes to the freezer for a, a bit of ice cream well that's not that's not a sin that's, that's emotional eating yeah it's a source of comfort sometimes and it's meant to be you know food is nourishment yes food is nourishment yeah right yeah. i agree and really i think when i guess you could say you know, people who, I don't know, I don't know, maybe you can talk about this. There's food mm-hmm. addictions. So, you know, I'm always about the balance, right? That's that's mm-hmm. actually part of my go-to is like live a life of balance. But when it becomes an addiction, how do you know? And what, like, what do you do when you know it's not about just that occasional, oh, you know, I really want to sit down and enjoy this meal with my family and have my cake and have all that stuff. But when does it Mm -hmm. become addictive? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Right? Like, how do you address that? Yeah, I mean, I think there are specific things like cravings and such that we have. Um, You know, craving chocolate for the magnesium, that kind of thing. But in terms of in terms of addiction, I mean, you know what? I really believe, <laughs> maybe this is uh, not quite mainstream, but I, you know, from my own experience and from what I've seen, like, I believe that whether you're restricting, um, you know, so whether, you know, say my background, whether I was anorexic or whether I was, um, bulimic or uh, whether I was using food for comfort you know I was addicted to food mm-hmm. every waking hour spent okay. thinking about food and obsessing over what to eat and when to eat wow. and, and not eating around people and specific times and I don't know. I mean, saving up your calories all day so you can eat at night. 
right? All of those things, all of those patterns and those beliefs and just thinking about food so much. I mean, that's an addiction. Right. I mean, really, it's, 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 um, you know, disordered thinking in the pursuit of weight loss is what I would think, you know? Right. Um, so, so I think it becomes an addiction Okay. in any of those cases, in any of those cases, it, it's, it's an addiction. So <laughs> that is when that deeper root work would help. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. To find out what's underneath, to find out, um, how we can, uh, and I'm not saying like in every case, it depends on how we go about this. Some people, you know, we, we want to get in there and we want to start changing, you know, those patterns, first of all. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then, you know, when, when it's appropriate, we go into the deeper emotional stuff. Some, maybe some people don't have a lot of deeper emotional stuff. It's not that everyone who, uh, has disordered eating, has that deep, deep emotional work, but but there is work there to be done. Yeah. It's, it's more the, um, yeah, it's more around the food, it's more around the eating, the restricting. And I mean, you know, it's so normal too, like people talk about binging and and that's, that's also something I have to say is, is really, uh, uh, anything can be a binge. Right. You know, any amount of food can be a binge. Uh, I'm not talking about binge eating disorder. I'm not talking about that uh, at all. But people get into the cycle of, you know, binging and then restricting, binging and restricting. So, you know, that's another thing, too. It's, it's, that's a huge pattern um, people find themselves in. And it's a difficult pattern because... You know, first of all, nutritional rehabilitation, if you've been restricting for so long, your body does not know. I mean, your body is in a state of trauma. It's in a state of like, I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal. I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Yes. Your body is feeling like that, right? That's physical restriction. Um, So, of course, of course, your body wants you to eat. And then there's that mental restriction that we're talking about, like, oh, this food is bad, you know, I shouldn't eat this food, it's, I'm being so bad, I'm eating a piece of cake, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to ever eat uh, this particular food group, even, some people do oh that. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to eat these oh, specific foods. Stephanie. And it's restricting, they're restricting themselves mentally, so physical and mental restriction create this whole, you know, binge, uh, restrict, again, to get back on track, end quotes, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. quote, end quote. And, uh, and and then it just sets them up for another another cycle. It's just a vicious, vicious cycle. And I candy. have to go it's back to cycle. that. I have to go back yeah. to that, what you just said. You were talking about mm-hmm. cutting out entire food groups. So mm. um, <laughs> one of the things that has become, and I want to address this here, because one of the things that has become huge are these food mm-hmm. sensitivity testing. And oh. the whole, so... I'm going to make this clear on my Uh thoughts on this right here on this podcast. You can go and do certain food sensitivity tests and show sensitivity to so many different food groups just because you eat them. So Uh I feel like unless you are physically sick, for example, you eat Uh dairy 
and you get a stomach pain that is like that monkey in your gut feeling or stabbing in your gut, well then, okay, maybe you should lay off the dairy. But doing a food sensitivity test and then completely, I guess, demonizing certain food groups, I... I feel like uh-huh. that is like a trigger for so many people. Oh, I can't eat that. And no, I can't eat that. And oh my gosh, well, it showed me that I can't eat that. Well, what is your body telling you? It's like that whole oh connection, goodness. Stephanie, that we're talking about. Like, uh-huh. you know, feeling the hunger, not feeling the hunger, feeling what your body's telling you. It's like, if your body's telling you, eh, you don't feel great, then maybe don't eat it too often. But don't listen to a sensitivity test that is hit or miss. So what are your thoughts on that, <laughs> now that I have my, my little rant? That, I, no, no, I concur. I absolutely do. Um, and it's important to know, too, that like people who are restricting for years, um, when they start nutritionally rehabilitating or allowing themselves to eat certain foods that they had cut out of their diet completely, um, so that's categories of foods, or... Uh, things like gluten, right, 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 that kind of thing. When they start eating those things, and I can tell you from personal experience, when they start eating those things, they can have a slight reaction that's not going to last very long. Right. It's because their food is not used to eating it. Yes. Their, their body's not used to eating it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I think that comes back to that whole moralizing uh, of food you know I think that there's so many people out there saying this is bad for you this is gluten bad or you know you shouldn't have dairy or or animal products or you know there's so many different beliefs and so many different and people people buy into it yes they they do they don't and and then of course if they've been restricting or or um disordered in their eating uh for years they you know, like I said, they may not be able to tolerate it at first. Um, doesn't mean they have a sensitivity. Or they may just cut things out, saying it's a lifestyle change. It's a lifestyle. It's not It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Right. I'm just going vegan. <laughs> or I'm yeah. going raw vegan. I did that once. I went raw vegan. Oh. Under the guise of a lifestyle change. And it was a diet Yes, it was. So, and I, Stephanie, I did yes. similar stuff. I was almost vegetarian. Then there was another time mm-hmm. that I was eating almost all just raw food. Then there was another yeah. time that I went keto. And then there, so mm-hmm. I've tried, I've kind of done similar things. And then I, I kind of went, I had to go full circle, really. And then come to a point where in the last few years, I've kind mm-hmm. of figured out that if I kind of do everything in balance and throw in better exercise for my body, yeah, I can I yeah. can maintain mm-hmm. where I feel comfortable. And wow, I actually eat some gluten and I eat some grains <laughs> and I eat animal uh, protein. And I eat... So it's interesting because as soon as your brain kind of says okay, I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy food and it's okay to enjoy food. I'm going to have a little bit of everything and I'm going to throw in some great lifestyle habits like getting out into nature every single day and exercising Mm -hmm. well for my body and cooking at home. So like, you know, like as soon as all of that 
happens, your body just kind of goes, oh, Sandy, you can chill for a while. You're good. Yeah, absolutely. That balance um, is fantastic. And like, I really like that you said exercise that's good for my body because, you know, <laughs> that's that's a big part of 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 connecting to your body. Yes. Um, and being connected and, and knowing how you feel and feeling good. I mean, exercise, I like to say movement, gentle movement, um, because that's something everyone can enjoy. Might not be running to the gym to take a, you know, body pump class or whatever that is. Oh, yeah. Like if you were to throw me in one of those, <laughs> yeah, if you were to throw yeah. me in one of those spin co classes, I think I would probably die and... <laughs> you'd have to pick me up off the floor, put it that way. Just, yeah, yeah you got to know what's right for you, but you have to move. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, movement is healthy, and and, and maybe for one person it's walking, maybe for another person it's, it's yoga, or or um, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it feels good in your yeah. body. Yeah, You know, that's why exercise, it can be, it can be like a punishment, it can be an absolute punishment oh, yes. for some yes, people. Yes, well, yes. I ate too much lunch. I have to go and work out for four hours at the gym. Yeah. You know, or I shouldn't say specific times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That can be a trigger. Please, for your warning, that, um, yeah, yeah, but um, I have to go work out and I have to work out harder so I can burn off what I ate or, you know. People that go and, and they've tried everything, they've tried shakes and pills and exercises and diets and personal trainers and just running themselves ragged, you know, creating more stress in their system. I think that's actually and, very um, common right there yeah, to um, yeah. create that stress from exercise. And yeah, and it's counterproductive really in the end for your body. Absolutely. I mean, how many women are suffering from... Um, uh, amenorrhea, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, adrenal-type issues, HPA access uh, deficiency issues, and, um, you know, turning it into a thyroid problem, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Running themselves ragged. Yes. I'm sure that you, you may work with women who who come in with those Yes, thyroid is always huge, so... Yeah. Yeah. All right, Stephanie. Well, I'm going to wrap this up and I would like to ask you if there's anything else you would like to add and where can we find you, which I'm also going to put in the show notes. Oh, goodness. Well, um, I just want to say thank you so much again for having me on the show. Thank you. Uh, such a pleasure. And I, I could just talk for hours and hours about this. I know. <laughs> um <laughs> I love, love doing the work I'm doing and, um, you know, I want to share it with as many people as possible. So, like I said, the methods that I may use are not mainstream, but they are effective. Um, and uh, I just want to mention, actually, November 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m., or 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, I'm having a, a live body confidence masterclass where we'll look at how how harmful patterns develop and how they affect the body, the mind, and nervous system, and how we can start to create new healthy patterns and listen and reconnect with the body. Oh, and where so, is that, Stephanie? November 20th, where? 
Yep. Uh, if people want to learn more about that, they can actually connect with me by email. That's Stephanie at stephaniefarrell.com. So S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E at Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E. Uh, Farrell is F-A-R-R-E-L-L dot com. Or they can DM me on Instagram at your coach Stephanie. And um, yeah, so that'll be online. It'll be a Zoom call and... Um, yeah, I would love to share that information with as many people as possible. Oh, I love that. Okay, thank you so much, Stephanie. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And I look forward to watching that live on November 20th. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sammy, for having me on the show. And it's just wonderful to have a chance to share this information with your listeners. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye-bye. Bye. Join me next week where I cover off more exciting topics. I hope to continue to engage you and excite you and show you that living in your 40s, 50s, and beyond can be exciting, balanced, and helpful. Bye for now.